Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. A few weeks ago, Eric Romick joined us to discuss solar projects on farmland. And as we discussed, there are numerous wind and solar projects in the works across Ohio, offering really enticing rental rates. So if you want more information to catch up on that, go back to episode 79 and check that one out with the information on solar leasing. And then since that podcast, Senate Bill 52 was passed by the House and Senate and signed by Governor DeWine. And so this bill is going to affect the process for approving those utility scale solar and wind projects in Ohio when it goes into effect in October of this year. So these changes really came as a desire for more involvement from the local authority, as there's been a lot of controversy around some of these projects in different areas of Ohio. So today we've got Eric Romick joining us again, and Peggy Hall, um, who's one of our legal experts at OSU Extension. So thank you both for joining us. Could you each take a moment to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. Hi, I'm Peggy Hall. I'm the director of OSU Extension's Agricultural and Resource Law Program and an associate professor um, in the Department of Extension. Yes. uh, Good morning. My name is Eric Romick. I'm an Ohio State University Extension Field Specialist focusing on energy education. So I work statewide um, within Extension on on energy topics. And obviously, utility-scale solar is a a busy topic right now. So you guys are really the dream team to discuss the topics around Senate Bill 52 Mm -hmm. and the changes those are going to bring to the way this process is handled. But to start off with, can we recap what the current review process is for utility scale projects and why there was a desire for changes to that process? Yes. Well, I'll talk about the the legal side and Eric can discuss the procedural side established uh, through our power siding board. But on the legal side at the local level, there is an exemption in Ohio law that exempts utilities from local zoning authority. And so there is no ability at that local level, whether that's township or county level, to decide where public utilities can locate within your community through the zoning mechanism, which is our typical uh, tool for doing that. But then we also have the Ohio Power Siding Board, Eric, and the process that's set up there. Yeah, so you know, currently, the Ohio Power Siding Board has you know, regulatory authority over electric generation facilities that have a generation capacity of 50 megawatts or greater. And so as we've seen the scale of the solar projects in Ohio you know, increase here in recent years, we have a lot of these projects now that, uh, that meet that threshold. So I think last I checked, there were 42 projects in Ohio that had submitted applications. So 42 projects that are 50 megawatts or greater from from an electrical generation standpoint. And so those types of facilities um, are are bound to go through the Ohio Power Siting Board process for for siting approval. The Power Siting Board is, uh, you know, it was established in, in 1972 to essentially guide the development of utility scale infrastructure in the state of Ohio based on um, you know, public need, um, economic impacts, land use impacts, uh, and, um, and environmental compatibility. So that's made up of a, a board that has 11 members, um, seven of whom have, are voting members. And 
It's made up primarily of your, your state department heads. So the, the chairman of the Ohio Public Utilities Commission, um, the director of the Ohio EPA, uh, the Ohio Department of Agriculture, Ohio Development Service Agencies, Department of Health, Natural Resource. So um, that, that board is responsible for reviewing these applications and determining um, if they, they meet the criteria to, to receive that permit and move forward. Part of the challenge was um, while there is a process for local input uh, through the power siding board, many didn't feel that it was adequate, that you know they wanted more local input into that decision-making process. And that's what, uh, in my opinion, led to, to, the, to the Ohio Senate Bill 52 legislation. Let's talk a little bit about what this is going to mean. So it's going to be quite a change from how things have been handled in the past. So once we get into the Senate Bill 52 laws and regulations, let's look at the restricted area. And what does that mean for how these areas are going to be determined? Well, the law gives authority to that county at the county level. So the the Board of County Commissioners, under the new law beginning in October, it's October 11th is the effective date of this new law. But at that time, they will have the legal authority to designate restricted areas in the county where the wind or solar development of those larger facilities that Eric mentioned cannot take place. So they can map it out, say, here is where we do not want this type of facility to be located in our county. Now, to do that, they'll have to have, you know, go through the typical public notice and hearing process. So they'll let residents of the county know we are going to designate this area or several areas as restricted. Come to this hearing, we'll discuss it. You have an opportunity to speak. And then after that designation is made by the county commissioners, the citizens of the community who may disagree with that designation or all designations will have the right to go to referendum and put it to a vote of residents in the county to reject those designated restricted areas. So that's a very different and new process that we see coming in at the local level to try to determine where these wind and solar facilities can site within a county. That's going to be really interesting to watch how it plays out across all the different counties in Ohio. You know, is there any precedence for how other states have handled this sort of restricted area issue? Well, I can speak to it from a zoning perspective. And Eric, I don't know if you have any other experiences to share, but many states do allow, not the majority of states, but, but some states do allow at that local level uh, those local leaders to use zoning to say yes or no to these types of, of wind and solar facilities. So we can look to that in other places, but this is different. Ohio is not using zoning. And that could have been one way to solve this problem is just remove them from that public utilities exemption from zoning and allow zoning to come into play. But this is something different. It's it's kind of like zoning by saying, here's the land use that can occur or not occur here, but it's done in a different way um, with a different process. And like zoning, 
it would be subject to a referendum. So a little bit different than we see anywhere else in the country. Yeah, it really seems like it's, um, you know, a move towards more of a hybrid model, right? When you think kind of big picture in terms of the the siting and regulatory process of, of utility scale wind and solar, um, you know, looking around the country, there's your your state level review process that's that's you know kind of centralized at the state, and then your local level uh, process that's more driven you know through local zoning, like Peggy just referenced. And this is kind of a mix of the two, it seems, where um, there's some local authority on the early end, but then kind of at some point uh, handing it off to the state if if the project's going to proceed for for the state to do its review as well. And so under this new law, there's the county review process. So where does that come into play? Um, I don't know, Peggy, if, if, if you want to take that or if you want me to. But one thing, I guess, just um, to state before we really get into it is I, I like to make sure that in my mind, I'm separating the two. And, you know, I know we talked a little bit earlier, Peggy and I kind of almost talk about it as, you know, the, the separate buckets within SB 52 and um, just kind of noting that, you know, the process for a county establishing restricted areas, that's kind of one bucket, that's one process. That that to me is more of a, as we move forward, would be a proactive approach, right? A county saying, we know we don't want to see this type of development in these specific areas, let's proactively establish uh, these zones to, to control that. Whereas this bucket that we're talking about is more of, as, as you mentioned, a county review process for, um, existing applications or, or um, proposed projects, I guess you'd say, that's a separate pro- uh, That's a separate bucket. That's a separate process altogether. Where, you know, if a developer is wanting to to submit an application to construct a utility scale solar project, uh, instead of of leasing the ground and doing their their interconnection studies and engineering and, and taking that application to the power siting board, they first have to take that to uh, to the counties where that project would be located and present that to, to, the, to the local county commissioners and, and the community as a whole to, to start the process before it can go to Columbus. It needs that local level of approval. I don't know, Peggy, do you want to expand on that a little bit before we kind of move into how that impacts the, the siting board composition and all of that good stuff? Sure. What What the law requires is that at least 90 days before uh, submitting that application to the Ohio Power Siting Board, the project developer has to notify that county and hold a public meeting to present information about that utility facility and what its capacity will be and where, you know, geographically, the boundaries of the project in the county. So that has to occur, as I said, at least 90 days, there'd be a a public hearing and that provides that local level opportunity uh, to be heard then at that hearing. At that point, after the hearing, the county commissioners still have the opportunity to just step up and say, no, we don't want this here, even if they haven't designated any restricted areas. And they can just simply reject that application or can go back to the developer and say we would accept it if you downsized it or you know if you changed the boundaries in this way so there's still an opportunity before it ever goes to the power siting board to have that local input and to just 
flat out reject that utility, um, that project proposal coming into that community. It's a pretty interesting approach. Yeah. And, and, you know, as, as Peggy mentioned, so the, the county could, could flat out reject it. They could, they could amend the boundaries or, you know, uh, they could choose to um, allow the project to proceed. And so if that were to happen, then, then the developer uh, would have the ability to take that application and, and formally submit to the power siting board and then go through that siting board process. The, the, one th- the other thing that's kind of interesting with, with this bill is um, as, that, as that application would move through the power siting board, under SB 52, it would create or add two uh, voting members to the power siting board's committee for that specific project hearing. And so um, those members would would include the, the chairperson of the board of trustees that, that would be impacted, and then also the president of the, the board of the county commissioners. So, you know, that's kind of interesting in that, you know, not only do we have now our the state department heads and the chairman of the PCO, but there's two local voting members that, that will sit on the power siting board um, committee as this goes through the state level review now as well. Uh, the other thing I guess I would throw out is, um, you know, those two voting members, they could also be uh, designated, you know, the, the township and county position could be a, a designee as well. And there's a, some language that describes how, you know, if it's impacting multiple counties or multiple townships, um, you know, then they need to, to have a voting process to basically select, you know, one township designee and, and one county commissioner designee. Well, that's pretty interesting. And I'm, we mentioned that this has caused some controversy at the local level. So these two things, the restricted area and the county review, we're really seeing where there's going to be a lot of influence for the local area to have on these projects. Yes. And a, a lot of, uh, you know, difficult decision-making by our county commissioners on these issues. And some of them may not have been expecting that. Uh, before they were elected, but they're certainly put into a, a decision-making role here. Yeah, and it's it's interesting when you just look at how the, there's just so many different perspectives. And, and when we talk about energy development as a whole, and, and I know, Amanda, we, we touched on this during the last podcast that, you know, there's no solution that you can point to and say, oh, well, this is, this is just, this is the answer. This is all good, right? There's, there's pros and cons to all of these, these energy sources. And, you know, solar's not not exempt to that. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of benefits to solar, you know, whether it's local tax revenue generation, you know, emission-free energy source, but there's also a lot of weaknesses as, as you look at, that's uh, an intermittent technology, or it takes up, you know, uh, it's a technology with a, a inherently low power density that takes up a, a lot of, of land, right? So a lot of horizontal uh, land area to generate a little bit of power. And, and in Ohio right now, unfortunately, some of that's, uh, prime farm ground, as we were discussing earlier. So it is, yeah, Peggy's right. It, it leads to a lot of, of really, you know, dynamic debates. But, you know, the one thing that SB 52 does is, you know, it's trying to redirect that so that those debates are held at the local level. And, and then, you know, once the community determines what they feel is the best fit for the community, then it kind of moves on through the state process. Just one point I want to make quickly, because this is a question I've received as we look at that local decision-making process, landowners have said, well, if, you know, if I'm restricted in a restricted area and I can't do this, or they deny a project that was going to be on my land, 
um, is that a taking of my property rights? And just quickly, legally, you know, if there's still a viable use of your land after that decision by that local government or, or whatever the governmental entity is, there's still a viable use, then it's going to be hard to argue that that's a taking of your property rights. And, and certainly with agriculture, you can still farm the land. So I don't think those taking type challenges to these local decisions will go very far for that reason. And with that, we are out of time for today. Stay tuned for part two in two weeks as we get into Senate Bill 52 requirements on a decommissioning plan. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.